Microphone with your drink. Cheers on the microphone. Cheers. That's good radio. It is. All right. You ready in Nebraska? Always. What about Kentucky? Always ready. All right, kids. Welcome back. It's the season finale of uh, of the Road to Linkmar. You're listening to the Who lives? Cast. Who dies? <laughs> Who tells your story? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Find out tonight. <laughs> I'm Luke. I'm Josh. I am John. As I said before, we are the Chromecast. We are the uh, the power trio that's bringing it straight to you. We're gonna wrap up with our uh, our, our greatest hits here, as far as the the Fawford and Mouser stories. We're going to talk about what we liked about it. We're going to talk about Liber. We're going to uh, maybe do a little bit of unveiling as far as the next season. I don't know if we've reached consensus with that yet, but maybe by the end of the show we're going to have an idea. Let's do that live. Let's, <laughs> let's spend 30 minutes talking about what to do next. We're going to pull a Bill O'Reilly and we're going to do it live. <laughs> Ningobble will show us. That's right. Dude, Shilba. No, Ningobble. Oh, you guys have different patrons. Oh, Luke is the Grey Mouse. Wait, which one is the Grey Mouser's patron? It is Ningobble, isn't yeah. it? Oh, then you get Ningobble. You're the Grey Mouser. I'm the Mouser. I'm yeah. the somber one. I am Fawford. Fa- you are Fawfordian. Big. Silly. I'm, like to fight wolves. I'm Mouserian. Yeah, you're shrewd. I'm, ooh, I'm a... You're a shrewd. Rodentian. You look good in gray. Protagonist. You're wearing gray right now. It is a little bit gray. Little Wasn't bit your wedding tuxedo kind of gray? No, it was like uh, autumnal colors. It was more oh, like... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. More brownish. I had like burnt orange, like Halloween. Uh, it wasn't Halloween, but it was it was browns <laughs> and and nice nice oranges with the... the what do you Luke call got those? married under the witch's moon. Don't let him fool you. Yeah, they call those suspenders. That's what I was wearing. I wore suspenders. When you did that, I was thinking tassels. <laughs> <laughs> My pasties. <laughs> Your pasties were no. gray. I like suspenders. <laughs> Big guys got to bust out the suspenders whenever they're getting fancy. It works better than a belt, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Good. Can't wear both, though. No. If you do that, what is there's some sort of statement. Like, it just shows you're not Can't really. trust the man who can't <laughs> yeah, trust his own pants. That's right. There you go. <laughs> what is that from? It's a Western movie. I oh, can't remember man. which one. Yeah, that's good stuff. Welcome to Fashion Cast. <laughs> <laughs> Belts for suspenders edition. We are some trendy high fashion dudes. Well, we got the hip the hip uh delivery here. That's right. It's from Once Upon a Time in the West. Oh, oh good yeah, call. Okay. Yeah. Look at that with the quick fingers. Googling. You know how it is, you just do that Google. Googler be Googling. Alright. Let's uh let's talk about what we're drinking. John, what what you got in your cup? Uh, I'm still sipping on that Larceny. We got a big bottle to finish, and uh, I haven't been so distraught that I've drank the entire thing yet. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> You're working working up to it? Working it. Josh, what about you? Uh, started the night with a Yingling, which is now uh, distributed in Kentucky. Yeah. 
uh, fairly recently. I think we talked about it maybe last week or the week before, but yeah, you can get Yingling in Kentucky. And I don't know if it's just because it's available now, but it it's like, you know, eh, it's okay. But it used to be like, you know, you have to go to Cincinnati or somewhere to get it. And it was like going on a quest, like one of death's gayuses. It's a good one, though. Now, if we can get it on draft, which is how I had it the other day, it was, it's just a solid, it's just a solid beer. Yeah. Do you think everything's better on draft? I'm a, I'm a draft fan through and through. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if it's available on draft or in the bottle, I'll get it on draft. Yeah. Uh, draft is greater than cans is greater than bottles is my general statement. I'm a, I'm a can fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of the can. Uh, and maybe that's my hipster coming out. Uh, but I do like canned beers and I, I'm, I'm fine with bottles too. I'm not going to turn it down if there's one that's one way or the other. But as far as like my personal beer consumption, I'll get that stuff in a can every day of the week. It fits in the fridge a whole lot easier and it's just easier to carry around. That's my, that's easier to recycle. That true. That, 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 that true. That true. That true, John. <laughs> that true, John. <laughs> what, what do you all feel? Uh, I, I'm I'm with you. I I don't know that I'm super picky about bottles versus cans, though. But draft, yes, draft is definitely better than than uh, bottled or canned. Yeah, pints equal or greater than twelve ounces. Yeah, <laughs> by and, definition and. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of getting, going to the bars, like German beer, yeah, man. Tubes, ah. like, uh, the blue stallion here in Lexington yep. and, and getting oh, the half liter or liter of their dunkel. Well, that's, I like the, like our little shamrocks down the road. I mean, I like the fact that you really can go in there and get a, get something draft for like the four bucks for a pint or five bucks for a pint. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. John, what is your, what is your feel? I, I like the draft. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that I have the can versus bottle thing down like you do. Although I did have some canned beer recently, and I was like, this is way better than I thought it would be. So maybe there is something to that. I took my brother around recently to some of the local Omaha breweries in their tap rooms. That was a good time. Nice. How many did you visit, and what ones did you go to? Uh, we went to two that afternoon. Thunderhead Brewing Company, and it's Cross Strain, spelled K-R-O-S. T R A I N S yeah S T R A I N. They had lamps that were shaped like hops hanging from the ceiling. That's interesting. Cool. If you ever come to Omaha, we'll go there. We will come to Omaha someday. Someday. I That's want, what we're drinking, I right, want, Luke? I want red red meat and a beer. Okay, we'll that is easily done in the city. <laughs> and John in the same room, easily accomplished. He's, he's the. If red you meat. guys ever no no straight up, if you ever do come out. We're going to the Drover, the three of us. The Drover? Mm. Yeah. It's one of the OG steakhouses. It's dark. It's built like a log cabin with rocks piled up on the side. You go inside and it's kind of red lighting and everything's mostly dark. And you sit down there like, what steak do you want? And then you tell them and then they say, okay. And there's the salad bar. You don't really ask you how you want it cooked because it's going to be medium. (laughs) That's the assumption. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I would. What steaks would you guys order when you walk into the rover? Um, you want the whiskey fillet? Hmm. Whiskey fillet. Whiskey fillet. That's what you want. Okay. okay. I might would. Opt. We could also go to Brother Sebastian's, which is shaped like a monk house. 
and everybody's oh. dressed like a monk. Like, what do you call those monasteries? Monasteries. <laughs> no, it's a monk house. Monk I'm Catholic. House. I know okay. what it's called. Okay. <laughs> it's different than a monastery. Thank you. <laughs> they live there, Luke. <laughs> Where do, do monks not live inside the monastery? They live in the monk oh, house. I mean, they have monks. They do the church in. <laughs> they have, well, they have houses inside the monastery. Like, in my mind, the monastery are, is like the walled. Like it's like yeah. that's, that, that's like the monk fortress. And then you pull in the the double wides, and those are the monk houses inside the monastery. Okay. Got it. Okay. And you build a screened-in porch in front of it. Cool. That sounds yeah. like a, I would I would Let's, go there. Why yeah. not both? Why not a progressive dinner where we get uh, or lunch one place and dinner the other? Can mm. you do that? <laughs> you want to do like a steak tour? Okay. Yeah. I would. We'll yeah. end at Gratz then. Okay. That's where the mobsters used to meet or something. Okay. Man, I bet Omaha mobsters, I bet they were wheeling and dealing with like with red meat. Like they were doing like some stockyard okay. illicit actions. They probably had uh, stuff running down through Texas. We were halfway between Chicago and Kansas City. A lot of numbers ran through here. Mm. When you say numbers, uh huh, you're meaning like bets. Bet, yes. Betting. Betting. There's a good book about Omaha's crime history called Wires and Cigars. Mm. And it was all about the wire, like the telegraph wires that were hidden in cigar stores that transmitted all of cool. the bets. Neat. It's a deep cut crime yeah. history. This I never do that. This is a Liberian introduction to our to our season finale here, yeah. guys. I'm liking it. We're, we're just meandering around. Rambling. <laughs> we're still doing what you're drinking. We're rambling and gambling. We're drovers. Uh, okay. Last thing we're drinking. We've got another bit of the uh, the home cooked up wine here. We have the apple wine this time around. This is uh, uh, dry hopped with some Cascade hop pellets. It's all right. It's like freshly bottled about a week ago. Definitely, it's got the the hop aroma coming through. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of apple, but it's all right. It was in the flip top, so I wanted to get rid of it. Yeah, it's good. It's hot. It. We'll drink that, and then we have like a my first my first stab at a. Uh, and a grape mead. So I took some uh, like Concord grape juice, mixed it with a couple pounds of honey, and fermented it out. And so we're going to try that too. It is more red wine. It's really good. It's fairly light though, but it's coming out at a solid 11% alcohol. Wow. Uh, so it's pretty cool. And then the What's other the big one. jug of wine you usually get? Oh, uh, like Carlo Rossi? Carlo Rossi. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of feeling like that or no, it's not, it's, it's not sweet. It's, it's pretty dry. I mean, there's, it's funny. Like the, the specific gravity of it is like under one. It came out like 0.998. So it is, it, it is lighter than water. Uh, and so there's essentially no sugar in it. Uh, but it has the, the impression of sweetness because of the honey and the impression of grapes because of the grape juice, but it's pretty much fermented out. So it's pretty, it's pretty good. Uh, but I've got another gallon that's wrapping up right now that's my other sort of like fruit mead that I've tried out. And it's the same two gal- like two pounds of honey for for a gallon of, of water. But I also put in some uh, some apple juice concentrate, so it's like a sizer. And then I hopped it. So right now it's kind of kind of hoppy too. Uh, but hopefully here in a few weeks it'll be ready to go. And it, it came out actually at like 12% alcohol too. Really? So it, yeah. It just, dude, the 71B yeast just like screams through it. Hmm. I'm and sold it, on it How many travel size bottle shampoo things would I have to buy to get some of this down to Texas <laughs> with us? I need, well, I can bring it with my, like if I was to check any luggage, we could get right. some in there, but it would be a lot of weight. 
So I'm, I'm wondering about that. I, yeah. I might, I'm more inclined to bring a couple bottles of bourbon. <laughs> you can have 40 pounds. Yeah. Have we talked about that yet? You Did you check a bag? No, no, no. The other thing. The, the Howard days. Did we talk about that? We yet? did. Uh, okay. That was but, we announced it on the last episode. You two may not remember. We were pretty. No, drunk. I remember, dude. <laughs> totally. <laughs> dude. I was plugged in. I was. Uh, the only reason I remember is I've been working on editing that last episode. <laughs> this gold golden um, radio, the golden years of radio. Man, oh man, we were uh, channeling our best uh, Fritz Leiber. I think that we were we were pretty in in his in his cups. We were pretty far gone. Um, but yes, we did talk about Howard Days. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're going. That'll be cool. Yeah. Um, so if anyone else I just is going, think it would be really funny to walk up to the pavilion with a jug of wine and be like, "Howdy, y'all!" No. Hey, I'm uh, gonna have an ass pocket of whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> flask. I'm not gonna say any. Wait, I just I, I recuse myself. <laughs> What's <laughs> like? I'm not I true. cannot recall. <laughs> what, what did I just say? I can't recall. Print call. Print call. Is that, that's what he says on like Pulp Fiction. <laughs> when he's talking. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're going to Howard Days. Uh, we're going to drink at the Pavilion. We're going to record a lot of interviews. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if anyone listening is also going to go to Howard Days, let us know. True that. Yep. All right. So we finally meandered through the whole like drink thing. Now we can meander into the one thing thing. You guys could have anybody sing the one thing seem theme song and like play the guitar for it. Any any band person, who would you go with? Rob Poyton. <laughs> I, I think I, I would like st- stick good with choice. Uh, Rob P. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. It's, I hadn't really thought of it. Um, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. Lady Gaga. Every day, all day. <laughs> Tay Tay. But with Rob, like editing it. I got it. I would, yeah. uh, I mean, can we go back, like, into the deceased? Yeah. Yeah, alive or dead. Yeah. Alive or dead. You could have Janis Joplin. Is that who you were thinking? No, but oh, that man. would be a good pick. Uh, no, I was actually, I was thinking, like, with the, the riffs that were there, like, I could see, like, Thin Lizzy style. And so, like, Phil Linet, like, he was the bassist, right? But maybe, like, him, like, plunking Crank, along. Cranking and, out some tasty bass licks. Given a, uh, like, his kind of delivery. Black Sabbath guy? Ozzy? Uh, no, the guitarist. Oh, oh uh, Tony Iommi. Yeah, yeah. And Geezer was on bass, right? Yes. Yeah, that would be pretty Rick cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. I could Bob uh, Dylan. <laughs> Dude, I would love with the harmonicas. One thing, just rock it like a rolling, like player piano style. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Dude. Uh, so Rob, I guess if you're listening, we're requesting a Dylan inspired one thing. Uh, well, I want him we to have... be a part of it. Like I want him to be in charge of it. Like, yeah. uh, this, or what was it when everybody did the Africa? Oh my song? God. Like live aid. Yeah. I want, I want Rob <laughs> to inform One thing live aid <laughs> for the Chromecast. Yes. That's what I'm thinking. There you go. Okay. Uh, well, do you have one thing, sir? <laughs> yeah. You want me to go first? Yeah, you do. I can do it. You. My one thing is a book I just finished while I was flying on some airplanes, and it's called Devil in a Blue Dress. It is a Walter Mosley novel. 
and it features his protagonist that he has in a few different books whose name is Easy Rollins. And Easy is a private eye, and this first book is him sort of becoming a private eye, getting caught up in some shenanigans and mysteries in L.A. in the 1950s or so. And he's a black man. So it's a very different look at that sort of noir setting because it's not just a white detective. So you get a lot of racial undertones. It was very interesting. I really enjoyed reading through that. It had a lot to say about race interactions in America. It wasn't just a hard-boiled novel. Uh, It was a movie once starring Denzel Washington. So some folks that are listening may have seen that rather than read it. Same title. But it's a really good hard-boiled book. Lots of twists and turns. I would highly recommend it if you're into that sort of crime, mystery, noir, novel type. Nice, man. Uh, how did you did you read it? Did you have it like as a beater paperback or like a – Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. I had a paperback of it. I actually learned about it because uh, I think I had – I was one of one thing once, Luke Cage, the Netflix show, mm. the first season. I haven't seen the second season, but he reads a few books at the beginning of that first ah, season cool. while he's hanging out in the barbershop. And I, I found an article that was about all the books that he reads, and this was one of them. And it, it highly, this list recommended this book of, above all else that he had read. So that was kind of how I came to it. That's my one thing. Cool. Josh, would you like to feature your one thing next? I've been listening to some bluegrass music, particularly the musical stylings of Steve Martin and the Steep Canyon Rangers. Um, as, as we know, uh, Steve Martin has always featured banjo, like in his comedy routines. Uh, but it, I think it's always surprising just how good he is. He's such a good banjo player. Um, and so I've been a big fan of his bluegrass output with the Steep Canyon uh, Rangers. And the latest album that came out, I think either at the tail end of 2017 or early 2018, is called The Long Awaited Album. And it's, it's very, very good. Um, and so if I can, I'm going to cue up a little bit of it. So this one's just an instrumental. Um, a lot of these songs are sort of comedy songs. They tell stories. Right. And so there are a couple on here, um, Let's see if I can pull up the song list real quick. Like Charlie Daniels type stories? Uh, kind of. There, there's no devil really. Like in this one, there, <laughs> there is a a song called Caroline, which is a romance with a girl from North Carolina who loves the Tar Heels and um, just the the highs and lows of their relationship. Um, of, of interest to. Uh, you guys might be the song Nights in the Lab, which is about two scientists <laughs> <laughs> falling in love over a microscope. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's just really good stuff. Um, so it's a little bit different because normally we feature metal albums and, and we're big fans of, of metal music. But um, I, I do love bluegrass quite a bit. Yeah, man. And, uh, uh, I hadn't listened to a whole lot of it until this album came out. So I've been digging through... Amazon Music's back catalog of, of bluegrass. What are you doing, dude? Are you drumming? I was, sorry. <laughs> That's fine. It was coming <laughs> you through were really feeling loud. it. 
Anyway, uh, I dig it, man. If if any of you out there uh, are fans of bluegrass music, check out the new effort by Steve Martin and the Steep Canyon Rangers. Cool, I like it. How about you, Luke? Uh, my thing. I don't. I don't know. It's super. It's, it's weird. I still don't necessarily know what I watched the other night. Uh, <laughs> but just generally, I guess my one thing is the latest season of Atlanta. Uh, so oh, uh, okay, it's been awesome, and I I really love that show, and I just like to the moon and back. It's it's really good. But as of this recording, the last episode is what is it called it's called like teddy perkins uh but it's basically a character piece with this character that's darius so darius is absolutely the most like to me enjoyable laughable character on that show he is this just bonkers out there uh meta textual like philosophical uh dude that seems to be high half the time that's just like <laughs> next to paper boy and donald glover's character as they're going through their day-to-day activities but in this episode he found like an advertisement on craigslist or something to go acquire a piano that had all the keys painted up and he likes things and so the the the, the episode opens with a stevie wonder song and it's not humorous. I mean, it's humorous in as far as it has that character thinking out loud and expressing some things that are pretty funny because they're just far out. But ultimately, it, it's like, it is a very horrific episode. And the, the episode is... It's just bizarre. I can't even explain it. He shows up to a person's house, and the person that is there has this piano to give away. And he seems to be the brother of, of a great pianist who... He and his brother experience like some level of childhood trauma from their father, uh, so it has like shades of of Michael Jackson, uh, Marvin Gaye, uh, sort of like child stars being mistreated by their parents in the episode, and it it's like a mix of that and weird horror elements. So the character that plays Darius is Lakeith Stanfield, and he's awesome. Like that episode is just a thirty minute get in and get out kind of episode, and it's this weird deep drama moment within the the larger show uh and it's awesome but atlanta is just bonkers awesome it's it's laugh out loud funny and at the same time this episode and the 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 episode before that focuses on paperboy just wanting to get a haircut (laughs) and he can't get it done like they are frustrating and insightful and i love it so atlanta is my joint I, i love it so that did you say that it's at the end of its second season? Uh, yeah, yeah, or or it's in the middle to the end of the second season. Okay, like it's it's midway through, uh, for sure. Uh, hmm. It's good. It's it's so bizarre. Like th- it seems like this season has a series of uh, character specific episodes. So there's a specific episode that's focused on Donald Glover's uh, love interest. And she brings him along to this weird, like German festival outside of Atlanta. So it's basically like uh, those two who are African-American being amongst a sea of like white people celebrating this German festival uh, and Donald Glover's significant other, his 
uh, his girlfriend slash the, the mother of his child, she's very comfortable because she's, I guess, has a, at least some portion of like her family background is German. Hmm. Uh, so she's talking in German and interacting and doing all of these weird German festival, like Oktoberfest type things, and he doesn't know what to think. So <laughs> it's weird, and that, that episode is very horrific too. So there's there's elements of horror in the in the show that's sort of like coming through but the show is of course this weird surreal fx like comedy i don't mm. know it's it's it is awesome <laughs> but definitely that weird german oktoberfest episode and this darius specific episode there's there's shit going on in that that i can't unpack like, i don't i don't know what there's a lot of there's a lot of symbols there's a lot going on in that that i haven't quite digested but it's 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 pretty even even on a superficial level it's a trip and it's fun so so yeah Atlanta's my my one thing cool yeah that good that, choice I still think of that as a new show but it's like halfway through its second season yeah is it I guess in order to stream it you have to have FX's like they have their own streaming service don't they yeah that's what we're doing we're yeah. uh, we're bootlegging it off of uh, my my in laws account like nice. they have <laughs> we cut the cable a while back yeah uh, but they still have the cable so we're able to stream FX that way yeah. you just admitted to that and it was recorded the no gonna, gonna no print caller print caller <laughs> <laughs> dude no one that works at Spectrum listens to us screw Spectrum man they that's said, right it's screw so Spectrum every week they send something don't they <laughs> we it's want desperate. your business no like, I hope you go under yeah look at this <laughs> look at this wonderful streaming option that we have now no no i would rather pay um what's the other service this the streaming cable pirate bay no not the pirate bay (laughs) i would i would rather pay any other service than give spectrum another nickel i would almost yeah never mind yeah nickel (laughs) not even a nickel hey what do you guys think about i would would rather no i would rather burn up a ten dollar bill just like light it on fire (laughs) On a weekly basis, they give it to, to Spectrum. Like, yeah. if I had to. If Would those you were the smell two it, at least? Like, breathe in the fumes? Yeah, he's going to hold a match and light the match and have that match smoke. And then, then I like Alexander I Hamilton's in my nostrils. <laughs> you call him Aaron Burr. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, before, we, before we cut to the next segment, did you guys see the new Han Solo trailer? I did. Oh, speaking of Donald Clover. What do you think? Uh, so it's, it looks pretty good. I'm, yeah, it's cool. I, I'm, uh, I'm on board. I mean, I think the characters are, it seems they're well cast. That's my impression. I'll agree. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What's his name? In, in Reich, Aaron Reich. Is that the guy that's playing solo? I think Eric so. like Emmerich. Emmerich. Okay. Uh, I don't know about him because I've never seen him in anything else, which might actually be for the best. Is he in other things? He is in other things, but I don't know what they are. He was in uh, Hail Caesar. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen Hail Caesar, the um, Coen Brothers joint. Cool. I think he's the guy that does the whole, would that it were so simple. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, I didn't know that... uh... Amelia Clark was in it until like that that most recent trailer. So yeah. there's there's other folks that are in it. Uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Fonda Newton. I'm looking at the the Wikipedia. She's awesome too. Chewbacca. Chewie. He's he like two hundred years old. Yeah. I like that. I like that too. Um. Anyway, it, it looks good, Ooh. and and Donald Glover is is just pitch perfect. I think as uh, Lando Calrissian. Yeah, man. He. Uh, he's I'm got, all. I'm on board with. Uh, I don't know his art. I, <laughs> <laughs> I almost, I almost wish this was a Lando movie and not a solo movie. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. He plays just such the the great amount of a confused, kind of douchey, but at the same time totally relatable and like huggable dude in Atlanta. Like, and I, ha- I don't know. I, I haven't. I had never. I've never watched Community, so I don't know how he comes across in that show. He's so funny, but he <laughs> has. I mean, it seems like he just has like so many facets to what what he's doing with his with all of his various work. Because there's there's at least one, maybe it's the the closing song from the first episode of the second season. It it is absolutely a throwback '70s soul song, but it has to be like a new song that he's done. His latest album, whatever it is, the one that came out yeah. last year or maybe in 2016, is is kind of. Yeah, it's kind of like psycho psychedelic funk. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of throwbacky. Yeah. Some of those tracks are are very seventies. It's Isaac Hayes, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on that. I'm on that. All right. So uh, I hear John pouring up the the deuce. That's because we're getting ready. We're about to talk about some stuff. Let's get into some stuff. <laughs> As if we haven't been talking about. I mean, we've been talking about a lot of stuff. Our, this is the Liberian exploration we're sailing across the seven seas where i can see link mar as we've entered on the the river halal Halal. we're we've passed the uh the salt marshes we're coming up upstream and we've been biding our time talking about three things that come together oh as one thing like it john you got the uh the pole there we're on the raft like keep keep pushing this along dude yeah Meanwhile, I'm lying on the raft, fanning myself, and I'm waiting. Is that my role tonight? Yeah, well, you're, the, you're, you're you're the you're the pole man. You're the Fawford. You're pulling us along, and I'm I don't know. Like I, I have to thinking, feel like thinking I'm, about your next bath. Thinking about my next bath, I've got like a coin uh, that I'm sort of rolling across my knuckles because I'm really concerned with my coin tricks. Doing sleight of hand. I don't know who <laughs> I am in this uh, relationship. Gobble. And and Shilba simultaneously. Yep. So tonight we gather to talk about Fritz Leiber, but more specifically, Fawford and the Gray Mouser, because we've only read a small subsection of Leiber's stories here. Yeah, dude. We're like, what, less than 33% into this, right? Yeah. This would be like reading the first eight or nine Conan stories mm-hmm. and judging all of Howard's work by those stories, which admittedly are really good stories. Yeah, and we're, I mean, there's there's a longer chronology. We've talked about Liber and his output, right? Like, the stuff that we've read here is principally within the Tucson Adventure. That's right. Uh, but we've, we've touched on the writings that he generated in the 60s and the 70s to try to tie in a, a deeper narrative, like a chronology to the stories. And so I feel like at least with this season... We're getting, you know, with the with the the Conan stories, we jumped around in time. Like we read it in terms of like the publication history. Uh, here we're getting things in more of the the Liberian like 
the story of these two dudes. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about at least within uh, The Price of Pain Ease, the second to last story that we sort of digested here uh, a couple episodes back. Like that almost is like the end of the prologue, it seems like. That's right. As far as setting the stage for these guys. So really, this is in like comic book movie parlance. Like we we've covered the first movie yeah, <laughs> of, of the- a series here <laughs> in that we've established <laughs> motivations and how we would go forward with all the sequels. So to recap, we covered Ilmed and Lankmar, The Circle Curse, Jewels in the Forest, Thieves House. The Bleak Shore and the Howling Tower, The Sunken Land and Seven Black Priests, Claws from the Night and The Price of Pain Ease, and Bazaar of the Bazaar. That's it. So the first ten, right? Or, well, more than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The first yep. two, four, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah. Yep. I was because Ilmet and Lightmar is the the precursor to the Two Sod Adventure. That's or, right. Or the Swords and Swords Against Death book. So do you guys feel like this is <laughs> is this a good place to stop? I mean I came up with this sort of like story list on the basis of what was kind of cleanly within a book or two. Should we like did this do the job? It feels like it did. It it almost feels like we went maybe half a step too far when we covered Bizarre of the Bizarre. Yeah. But Yeah, I could I could see that. But in in a sense, you could you could say, okay, we've covered the intro and then we we kind of pull the curtain back a little bit more to see where the adventure is gonna go next. So in a way, yeah, Luke, I think you I think you nailed it. Um, in terms of the planning of this ep- uh, this season. But I, I do think that if we had ended on the price of pain ease, it would have been maybe a more complete, um, you know, uh, three-act like kind a narrative of arc. narrative. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that began in Ilmed and Lankmar and then ends in uh, pain ease. It almost makes me wonder, well, it doesn't almost, it does. It makes me wonder about the structuring of those 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 uh, beater paperbacks that are so, so famous and established. Like yeah. why Swords Against Death goes that extra story. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't necessarily looked deep at the story list for Swords in the Mist, but it seems like, I mean, these are relatively short uh sets of materials like they could have taken they whoever the deciders were could have taken bizarre the bizarre and smushed it into swords in the mist but i do know like i'm looking about here deeper uh so i'm looking at like the collection that i'm reading from is the three of swords so it has swords in the mist included too like lean times and link mar and adepts gambit which are in that third book are longer and specifically Adept's Gambit, which has been reprinted otherwise, is like a novella. It's like a, a longer piece. Maybe that's the reason, but it does seem that this is a funky-ass way to break up like what would be a collection of short stories. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like you know you get the flavor of the, the next set of episodes. Yeah. And from from what we've read, you know, in terms of uh, uh, material about these characters... Ningobble and Shilba 
play a huge role in in several of the stories here in the middle part of the the collection. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I think it's a, a fine place to stop, get, especially given that we didn't know really where to stop. But I do think that uh, if you're following along with us and starting with Ilmet and Lankmar, boy, the price of Painies just seems to wrap that story yep. narrative up in a, a bow. What do you think, John? I agree. Yeah, I think that maybe a half a step too far, but I, I like what we did this season. I do like the uh, relatively short and sweet path. Like the, it was, it was a series of skirmishes, like getting up to this point. And so, I feel I, I definitely like am am wanting more. Yeah, <laughs> but this is a good way to end it too. You know, so. Uh, so it's not a bad it's not a bad choice, and I I don't know I do know there are some great well reviewed stories later on. Like we didn't necessarily hit all the highlights. We didn't do the greatest hits, and everything thereafter is like, you know, liber liber writing, uh, pastiches of himself. Like the stuff that is yet to come is still some of the the best material. But I do know that we were able to hit like a lot of the, the high points too. Yeah. And, and those high points really, you can see how Liber took Howard's influence. Yep. Wove it into his narrative. Yeah. And sort of made this, uh, duo, uh, unique, you know, they're uniquely his own characters. What do you guys think? What should we, should we, uh, count down, our three favorite stories from the season. We talked about 11 of them yeah. in, in no particular order. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be good. <laughs> okay. Like maybe we can just go around the, the horn and, and talk about our faves. Yeah. yeah. So, so John, give us one of your favorites. One of my favorites. I would, I would start probably with maybe, I don't have them in order, but I would start maybe with howling tower. Okay. Yeah. What was it? What did you guys think of that one? That would have, that's in my top three. That yeah. one specifically. What was it Josh. about Howling Tower that that you guys enjoyed that made it in your top three? Well, when we discussed that episode, we talked about some of it was paired with another one that felt very mythological, but that this one felt very Celtic in its mythology, and it felt very Nordic sort of as well. It had that sort of mixture, and I I just really like that. I like those those two mytholo- mythological trees. And I've been to Ireland before and yeah. I felt that aspect of the story as we read it. So it really, I, it spoke to me, I guess is how I would put it. Okay. I like, how the, about you? I like the spooky factor of it. I mean, yeah. very much that story had, uh, an antagonist that was, you know, he had a bit of exposition that sort of described how he got to be the bad guy. But I like the, the near sympathetic uh, elements to his character and ultimately how he was a, how, how he was a bad guy and he got his comeuppance and like the, the, I guess this hits on one of my favorite things about these Fawford and Mouser stories. I like the, I like the spooky icky bits. Uh, the, the idea of these like spectral, like ghost hyena, ghost dogs that are just like ready to take this 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 antagonist out of the story i like i I love that (laughs) i thought that was you know it's a spectral hound it's a trope that we recognize but 
over the long history of this of like what plays out within that narrative it's it's just a, a really good bit of like comeuppance or like just desserts for that guy and i i like the way that that plays out yeah i like that, that was one of my favorite moments too to have ghost dogs <laughs> <laughs> we do love our dogs here on the Chromecast. way of the samurai ghost dog way of the Chromecast. uh howling tower did not make it into my top three uh but i did enjoy it how about one of your top three then sure joshua okay uh, and these are in no particular order as well. One of my top three in looking at these, I think they are maybe in, in order of my preference. So uh, thieves house, uh, mm. whose house thieves house. <laughs> that says it get old. <laughs> <laughs> so thieves house just has this w- wonderful sort of, I don't know. You can see Liber is still trying to figure out what to do with his with his characters. Yeah, but you can also see that he's building the world, the the larger uh, setting of Linkmar. And I just really did adore how the thieves' house. I don't know. Transitions from the people that are in power to a, a new set of I don't know administrators, uh, leaders who are obedient to the old thieves gods of Lankmar. I think that is just really, really cool. And I I think even though there are some clumsy moments in that story, Liber stuck the landing and left us with this, this tale, not just of Fofford and Mouser, but of Lankmar, you know, I guess the greater Lankmar. I that's also in one of my like top moments. That story, the world building and the final act is is probably my favorite moment from uh, like out uh, that well I, I guess I'm sort of going to confound the two. Like that moment is my favorite alongside the the end of the price of pain ease. Like those two moments that sort of hammer out world building and sort of like character motivations. I, I love those two sort of like big, broad narrative drill mm-hmm. down to our specific characters narrative. Like those are my favorite moments from the stories. Yeah. To spin off of what Luke just said, one of my favorite moments of the whole season is at, at, at the beginning of the Prince of Painties where they steal a house. <laughs> <laughs> that made it onto mine too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, not just the fact that they, took a house but they actually literally <laughs> picked it up hired some dudes to pick up the yeah. house and move it across town as a as a person who loves heist movies i just i would love to see that heist movie where you steal a whole <laughs> house like somebody steals the white house or yeah. something you know like carmen san diego yeah but it just involves like a bunch of sturdy dudes and some sticks and logs and they just carry it away yeah uh, I want this to be set during the the Teddy Roosevelt administration, and he's oh, boy. he's he's off in Yellowstone hunting, and he comes yeah. back, and the White House is gone, and he has to figure <laughs> out where, who took it, and why. No, him and Nikola Tesla have yeah. to team up and figure oh, it out. Oh, nice! That's your Abraham yeah. Lincoln vampire hunter yeah. style movie. <laughs> but that right. was one of my favorite moments for sure, Luke. Do you have a favorite story that you want to add to the pile? Uh, so I would say we've already talked about 
the Howling Tower. We've already talked about Thieves' House, and we've already talked about the house or the the price of paintings. I think those are my three favorites. Uh, I don't necessarily think that they're the best written, but they have like the high points as far as elements that I like uh character wise and sort of like horror moments uh so yeah i guess those are the big ones uh i guess one other moment that really did stick out to me and this is maybe it's because it's recent but it's again ties to that crazy horror element that i think library is the boss at so far from from what we've read here the uh spiders within the miscellaneous like cages (laughs) that in in terms of how Mouser perceives them, look to be like beautiful seductresses within uh, that bizarre of the bizarre. That is another like truly like spookily dookily scary ass moment that that sticks in my head. Yeah, once the veil is pulled away yeah. and you see what things really are, the the world of the real or whatever, as, <laughs> as Morpheus would say, and, and yeah. those, those beautiful. Buxom ladies are are actually vicious, starving spiders. Yes, yeah, it it leaves you with a, a a disturbing feeling. I think. Yeah. All right, John, you have another story to add to the pile. Actually, that spins into mine very well. I I really liked the bizarre of the bizarre because I had grown a little. I I I think at the beginning of this episode we talked about Luke being the mouser and I am Fawford, but. I like Fawford and I got a little tired of Fawford being the kidnappee yeah. and being the, the victim of a lot of magic. So I enjoyed seeing him in the hero role, the protagonist role, saving the gray mouser from his, his magical doom. And it also has one of my favorite moments where at the end of that story, the mouser is still pining after one of the eight legged <laughs> arachnids. And he's like, it's a spider mouser come off it now right and i i thought that was pretty funny that is it is library does a, a great job of making you feel kind of this feeling of revulsion toward the spiders yes. and and this you know uh comedic element from mouser pining over these these ladies that he saw in the cages so my next one was actually the price of paintings so i will i will pass on over to luke I think we've hit on my top threes of threes. Okay. Yeah. John? Yeah, same here. I've gotten, we've gone through the Howling Tower, Thieves' House, and Bazaar of the Bazaar are my top three tales. Okay. So that leaves me with one that hasn't been mentioned yet, and that is The Circle Curse. And um, The Circle Curse is short, and it's very simple, and it's very sweet, but what it does is bridge the gap between um, Jewels in the Forest and Ilmet and Linkmar. And it does so in a very interesting way, at least to me, because here we see uh, Shilba and Ngobble for the first time, at least in um, uh, story order. And we also get, I guess, from Liber, this inextricable bond between Lankmar and our two heroes. And we, we know, we begin to learn that no matter what they go through in life, Lankmar is going to be there and they're going to have to contend with Lankmar and Lankmar is going to have to contend with them. It, it just is, it is the third character in the story. It's Fafred, the gray mouser and Lankmar. And even in the stories when they're not in Lankmar, it certainly, at least to me feels like Lankmar is 
there on the horizon. Like it's, it's influence is felt. It's a place that they are going. They are ultimately going to get back there. And, um, I don't know. I, I just, I think that, uh, the circle curse does a great job of setting up this relationship between yeah. our two main characters and the setting that they spend most of their time in. There are lots of other cool things out there. We didn't talk about. We didn't talk about the fact that there's a bleak shore out there somewhere that calls to our heroes. That's right. And the cool thread of them coming back from there on their way to Lankmar again, which as Josh pointed out is sort of the, the other main character in all this. Yeah. So it, it was a cool season with a different flavor for sure. Uh, a familiar flavor, but much like, Ale 8, it's just sort of reminiscent of ginger ale. <laughs> a lot of people aren't going to know what Ale 8 is. Well, you, we've talked about it on the show. I guess that's true. Ale 8 is a delicious ginger ale beverage that you can find in Kentucky. And, and I guess it's in Cracker Barrel, right? Like nationwide. Oh, oh snap. So, I didn't know that. So get to your local Cracker Barrel and get yourself a name. <laughs> get, get the this episode of the Chromecast brought to you by Ale 8. Cracker, Cracker, Cracker Barrel. barrel. Get yeah. to a country store get the say that again i'm a dapper dan man (laughs) (laughs) i'm the goddamn (laughs) paterfamilias it it was just cool i i mean we've done how many howard seasons right we what's the season number (laughs) this is six this is six so we did five howard seasons and howard by and large is considered a father or at least foundational to this genre of sword and sorcery so it's good to meet an uh, intellectual descendant of him and to read through sort of the second person building on that foundation that Howard had set up. I, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Howard, If Howard is the father of sword and sorcery, then it seems as though Liber is the caretaker. He's the, uh, the steward of the, the ward. He's the, the Batman to the uh, sword and sorcery's Robin. And... I I said that it seems as though he took Howard's influences and made his own tales out of them. What Howard influences did you guys find in these stories, if anything? Fawford. I mean, Fawford is very Howardian. He would have felt very at home as a Taurus-like character in any Conan tale that we went through in the first season. So I recognized him. It almost seemed as if you looked at Fawford and the Grey Mouser collectively, they're Conan. Like they cover all the aspects that we've discussed through with Conan before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's the the elements of the elder Conan, the the the, the pondering, like thinking man that's encapsulated within a lot of what we see within like Mouser's like deep uh deep bits of like 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 re- introspection mm-hmm. that he has, yeah. uh, what like what like deep like moments of deep melancholy is kind of how like like Howard referred to oh, it. Oh man, yeah, he's like, he's the deep <laughs> melancholy to uh, the great mirth. Like like <laughs> there's those are the sides of the coin, right? And that's mm-hmm. what Howard puts forth in Conan, like in the in the classic character, not the television or like you know not the movie, but like the the Howardian Conan that we've talked about so much. He is uh, a dual character in in how he's presented. And so from day to day, he seems to be like a stormy sea or a a bright and shining morning. 
we kind of get that with these two, like Fawford and Mouser together. Like that's what I, I like how, you know, maybe it's a little bit easy and superficial to sort of split things out that way. But I think Liber is able to drill down into some more interesting or into some really interesting uh, topics by like breaking those characters in two. Or characteristics I also think into it two would characters. be right. I think it would be bad to discount the impact that maybe some of other Howard Howardian characters had on Liber and these stories that he's told because oh, I, do I see shades of Solomon Kane here. I see shades of Cole. We talk a lot about Conan, but there's a lot of other things that play here. I think. What are some of the Solomon Kane elements, and what are some of the Cole elements? I would say the Solomon Kane part is the magic and the. I don't know, like that that person to person encounter with magic. Like Conan, he fights magical type people, but I felt like Solomon Kane was much more down and dirty with magic mm-hmm. and 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 stabbing it. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> right. which seemed to be a, a librarian kind of thing throughout this season, where they matched up against that sort of sorcery. Whereas in some Conan tales, we get war or thieves or just that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, Conan doesn't touch the magic, whereas Solomon Kane becomes like yeah. he's next door to it, like he sees it. Excellent, yeah, yeah. excellent yeah. summation of that. Uh, so I, I felt that in here as well. Cole, maybe less so, but the ponderousness, the the thoughtfulness is there, the reflection is there. I think that we're talking about a guy who's a real student of Howard and a descendant of him. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it is, I think important to also acknowledge the influence that Lovecraft had on Liber. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, um, to your point about Cull, in my mind, the, uh, price of pain ease and the, the struggling, I guess, with death and, and the acceptance of what must come to me, it's almost as though Cull is the narrator of that story. Like, I I would agree. I think you're I think you're right on with that. Yeah. So those influences are definitely there. But the Lovecraftian aspect, I had I, I hadn't planned on talking about that, but you guys are much more Lovecraftian type experts than I am. <laughs> Is it just the sunken land or or where else would you go with some of those influences? I think it's all of this all of the like tinges of of horror that that both Fawford and Mouse are come into contact with. You know, Lovecraft, like Lovecraftian horror, Love, Lovecraftian horror is 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 cosmic horror, right? It's it's something larger than you that you can't necessarily touch. But that's not totally true. Like in a lot of Lovecraftian stories, the horror is something that you can't see, but it's like reaching out and it grazes and like bumps up against your shoulder, you know, in the tomb or wherever you're at. And so those scary elements are here. You know, like I'm thinking again of the, the, the thieve kings that come out like yeah. at the end of thieves' house to pull someone in. Like that's that's fate, right? Like that's Lovecraftian, in as far as it's inescapable and something you're doomed to encounter at the end of the story. But also, uh, it's it's Lovecraftian in that it's like the thing that reaches out from the darkness and grabs you too. And it's machinations that are operating without any regard to you. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. 
What about the are rats a Lovecraftian thing? The rats from our first story this season. There, there's a story called the rats in the walls, but it's it's less about rats and more about I don't know. Rats is is used more to describe vermin, right? Yeah. Um, what, can I ask as as two guys who have read a lot of Lovecraft, what would be the fate of a Fawford and Gray Mouser type pair in a Lovecraft story, though? I mean, ultimately, I think it is the fact that they 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 end up knowing Shilba and Ningobble and know that they are the ones that are responsible for horrors within the world, and then they can't do anything about it. They can't do shit about it. They're ultimately like servants of those two, and like that to me, that that servitude is like sort of an extension of like a Lovecraftian horror element. So that's the separation from Howard. He would not have the servitude. Well, I think that, um, I don't know if this answers that question, but to, to build on what Luke said in a Lovecraft story, your protagonist by and large with some exceptions is going to, their mind is, is not going to hold up to the pressure of the knowledge that they are receiving. It's just too much. Right. But Mouser and Fofred are able to process these things and move past them. And and we see that in the sunken land. They they both come to terms with the fact that Simorgia is something they had a brush with and it's something that's out there. But luckily, it's something that did not uh, result in their death. And they can get some like good chucks like some chuckles out of it too like yeah. that's 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 howardian and not lovecraftian and that they can like keep that sort of dark humor in the face of these hor- horrible elements and fofford is gonna spin a wonderful song or story <laughs> right. out of it right like that they're able to process it and in jewels in the forest we saw how sort of a, a glimpse of how these two characters process emotions right like Fawfred is elemental in his rage and he rages and then he's done or he feels fear and then it's over whereas Mouser is I guess more of a Lovecraftian uh, protagonist in that he's going to linger on these things for a while he's going to think about the 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 things that have happened in Jewels in the Forest or or uh, on Samorgia from what little he saw, he's going to think about that for days, months, weeks. Yeah. That whatever. was a, that was a really powerful moment within the, the, the season too. the fact that we have those two different ways that they're dealing and processing with death, that, that Mouser is someone that's going to think back to the, the men that they just killed and, and, and dwell on that. Whereas Fawford is going to grieve intensely for like a moment, a moment, and then it'll be gone. It's that animalistic, animalistic difference. So Fawford is Howardian and Mouser is Lovecraftian in a sense after a sense, but Lovecraft didn't have the wry sense of humor that Liber has and that Howard has. I mean, okay. That's not to say that that Lovecraft didn't have a sense of humor, but those humorous elements don't really seem to come through in his tales. 
this is an exciting part of this season. And I know that there were some people who had questioned about why weren't we doing straight Howard or, and things like that. But to, to read through a descendant of these weird tales, people is also very intriguing and very exciting to see what came after them because they built something or they, I, I guess I kept thinking of it as engineers that design something. And then an architect that comes along later and makes it real. Do you okay. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so, I, well, I was just going to say like to, to ignore the, the greater structure that was built on the foundation that Howard provided um, would be folly. I, I just, I just think to, to leave out Liber, to leave out, uh, to expand it a little bit. Um, I don't know. I'm at a loss of other well, authors. We'll, we'll explore just, more authors that Howard influenced in the future. Right. I'm, I'm certain. It's, it's an interesting idea to me to think about the, uh, the genetics of, of this, like yeah. the, the, the descendants of Howard and these people, because they invented something and then you have Liber and then you have people that come on down from there all the way up to who have we had on the show? Fultz and, and Sizemore and all these people and, and Mark right. Finn and all these folks that write at their direct descendants of this, ah, literary paternity. I, I don't know. No, I what, think that's a good way to put it. And I mean, the influence of Liber in terms of like contemporary horror, you know, we're talking about Fawford and Mouser stories here, but Liber was also just well known for all of his speculative fiction and, and genre fiction output. And so his horror materials, like he set standards for, for a lot of the horror stories. So there's, I mean, I think you're right. Like he was standing uh, just a few steps away from from the the Lovecraft Howard Ashton Smith circles, but he can he can touch the shoulders of of the folks that are coming down. Well, what an exciting time to be a writer to be in the thick of that. <laughs> yeah, I think you know it's funny to think about like this dude Liber that is versus. Bradbury like like have you read much Bradbury mm, just the normal high school okay. stuff yeah have you read like some of his some of his scarier stuff some of his spookier no stuff? no tell me I about mean, that it's it's you know like Ray Bradbury is is Spielbergian <laughs> in terms of like like he has you know criticisms of Ray Bradbury are are his sort of sentimentality and how it sort of drips on the page the same way that like Spielberg might have like that kind of, that kind of delivery with his content. You know, Liber doesn't, doesn't, doesn't truck with that. Like he has elemental emotions that are there, but I think it's, it's cool to think about Liber next to like the flip side of the coin in a very like Fawford versus Mouser, uh, sort of presentation of things to think about like Liber and his horror versus another contemporary like Ray Bradbury, who's, who's a little bit saccharine with his delivery and has like some scary elements, but is, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here other than Liber is a, a He's tower, an heir a, to the throne, a yeah, successor. Yeah, he is. And, and it's cool 
in the way that we're talking about the differences, the Fawford and Mouser sort of dualities of like uh, of of how you can take these types of stories to take Liber and sort of like contrast him with someone like Bradbury, like somebody that is very different in their presentation of the material. They're still spooky as hell and have some scary elements, but but they're a different type of story. I don't know. We're Liberian in our discussion as we've as we've hit on. Well, we're we're winding through some twisty corridors like yeah. Fawford and Mouser would, but I, I think that what we're sort of homing in on is the the way in which you can draw a line from, you know, um, mythological heroes uh, to Howard to Liber, and then from there, you know, we haven't covered. But there, there, there clearly is a, a line of influence. Not, I don't really want to say succession, but certainly influence um, that you can you can clearly see from Howard to Liber, and that's cool. Do you guys think that Fawford and Mouser are underappreciated? Do you I think- don't know about appreciated, but recognized? Okay. Like I don't think you could just go out and. Conan is a part of the gestalt of society, right? Because yeah. of, of Arnold. But there's no touchstone with these characters. But I think these characters are as common as Conan. Like I, I think within the grand scheme of pop culture, we see the the buddy cop duality of these two archetypes over and over and over again. And sure. I think that I think that's liber type like tapping into the pre existent sort of different like the, the the way that you could sort of view these these uh like dark anti hero type characters. Like like Riggs and Murtaugh. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. or uh, for this shit. <laughs> or Arya and the Hound. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I mean I think I think there are more recognizable Fawford and Mouser analogs out there in the world than perhaps Conan analogs. Uh, just just like wholesale across all different types of genres beyond like fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like you can get at that big man, small man, like shyster versus like uh, brave bravado hero. Mm-hmm. distinction across like a whole like cross section of genres but i don't think it's as easily recognizable like they're they're better costumed than uh conan like whenever you see conan he's more recognizable yeah i think i think that people just aren't as um familiar i guess they're not as familiar with Fawford and mouser yeah as they are with conan and and probably in large part it is due to uh, Schwarzenegger and in maybe to, to a lesser degree, it's because of the long running Conan, you know, Marvel comics and the fact that the, the Conan paperbacks had such iconic images and iconic covers that you see, you know, throughout pop culture, but more people should, uh, check out Fofford and, and Mouser. I think. I think they're highly influential in in RPGs and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I think we're talking in in broad like cross genre 
statements here. Yeah. If you were to talk about more specific, uh, like fantasy, uh, realm statements, like the Fawford mouse or archetypes are well known. Like, I don't know. I, I, I did not read these stories until, you know, relatively recent within my life. Like I didn't read these until a decade plus after I read and started playing like Dungeons and Dragons type materials. But I know these archetypes and they were something that were relayed to me within the very first like D and D memories that I formed. So in that instance, they're, they're like cemented within the, the content of, of like role-playing games. Yeah. John, were you familiar with Fawford and Mouser before we started this? In name series? only. Okay. Yeah. Had you come across them in the comic books? I had seen the comics at half price and things like that, but not as a, enough of a touchstone to be like, oh, I'll buy all those. And so they were within Wonder Woman, right? I think Wonder yeah, Woman crossed part. over with them, but I, I think that they had their own series called Sword of Sorcery. It ran for five issues. <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was a long running thing. Uh, it ran for five issues in 1973, and it was written by Denny O'Neill and featured art by Howard Chaikin. Chromecast wow. favorite, favorites, both of those guys. But what I'm seeing is that it was relaunched in the new 52. Did you guys know that? I did not, but now I want to go check it out. Yeah. Uh, but it's not Fawford and Mouser. It features the adventures of Amethyst, Princess of Gem World. Yeah. Um, and a backup story written by Tony Bedard and drawn by Jesus Sayez told the story of Beowulf. And it was canceled after issue eight. Yeah. So, but you could probably grab those pretty cheap, pretty easily. I see under some of the Wikipedia stuff that the the Dirk that Grey Mouser carries called Cat Claw has appeared in one of your one things, Josh. Oh? In a Final Fantasy series. Ah. Cat Claw is a weapon that you can pick up. Oh. Which Final Fantasy is that? Uh, it says, including early installments of the Final Fantasy series. Okay. I'm not as familiar with Final Fantasies 1 through 3. And I can't really remember details like that because you pick up so many different weapons for all sure. the characters throughout the game. I don't remember Cat's Claw, but I bet you're right. I bet there is one. I see something here. Did you ever read Fables by Bill Willingham at I, all? I read the first six issues. Apparently, a Freddy and Mouse appear in issues 77 and 78. Nice. And they are analogs for Fafford and Grey Mouser. That's cool. Yeah, one thing that I would say as far as like a regret for this season that we didn't do is pulling in other written sort of analogs to these characters. Because I think early on I talked about uh, a Joe Abercrombie sort of short story or two about, uh, oh shit, I'm spacing on their names, uh, the lioness. The, the two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the, the various analogs of these two archetypes, like they're, they're just, they're everywhere. I mean, we could have pulled from a, uh, a, a variety of, of stories. And I mean, it's, it's something that's just long reaching. And so there's a variety of 
contemporary extensions of this character trope that we could have could have that we can get into. And so I don't know. I mean, it's something that people can continue to read, obviously, but uh, it's something that we can grow from. So Chev and Havra. Uh, I'm also thinking about the uh, the hammer and the, the the bone. I can't remember. Shit, I don't know. There's lots of Fawford and Mouser analogs. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Do you have any regrets for the season, John? I live with no regrets, Josh. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I live with uh, plenty of regrets. Yeah, that's, that's a good answer. But in actuality, I have to be honest, I, <laughs> I have regrets. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I regret that we didn't spend a little bit of a little bit more time talking about the the uh, sequential art adaptations of Fawford and Mouser. Right. Uh, I wish that we had dug a little deeper into the sword of sorcery and learned a little bit more. Yeah. I just learned tonight there were there were only five issues. <laughs> five issues. Um John, I gotta I gotta yeah. interrupt. I don't mean to say that it's okay to like I don't know. What am I trying to say? Regrets. Yeah, regrets. It's okay if you don't have regrets. That's the way to live. Right. Okay. It's a good way to live. <laughs> I, I'll do me. You do you. You just do you. <laughs> it's like the uh, Diet Coke Diet Coke girl. You do you? You do you? Yeah. You guys know those commercials. Yeah, if you want apricot They're Diet horrible. Coke. Those are the worst. Or blueberry Diet Coke. They're just the worst. You do you. She, That's it, just over and over and over again. You do you. Do you know those? Don John? Draper came up with all that. I didn't know that. John Hamm? The character Don Draper, is that what you're saying? Don you're, Draper, John Hamm. His um, name's like that's John my Hamm. last name. You're telling everybody. John I'm Hamm. John John Hamm. You're John John <laughs> We were both Holy so Holy moly, yeah. We've yeah. Got, we didn't know your actual last name. We just knew you as John. Dude. Sometimes Jonathan. Dude. This, are, this, you, are you John Jonathan man. John Hamm. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're off the rails. It's off like the rails a little bit, but I'm going to try. This with will this require maze. heavy editing. Uh, but I'm going to try. No, Who, well, I don't edit this. I don't really edit anymore. I just I was supposed to edit the last one. Okay, you but can do this. Josh's. Sorry, you can do this one. Um, okay. I say Mo. Mo. <laughs> yep. It's springtime. It. It's time to start mowing. First of May. <laughs> springtime for Hitler right. in Germany. Oh wow! Nice. Um, <laughs> so to bring it back, uh, I do have that regret. Uh, I I do wish we had spent a little bit more time on the sequential art. Yeah, I I regret that we didn't spend more time on the extensions of Fawford and Mouser in contemporary fiction. Mm-hmm. Written words, Riggs and Murtaugh. No, not the television, not the movies, the literary, the literary, the words. I regret not buying you both swords. Ah. Oh this, man, I would want a short sword. This glass never seems to get empty. <laughs> Filling it up. We've been uh, sipping on some of the grape mead and some of the orange, the ancient orange mead. It's pretty Josh good. Brought. Both are. It's stellar. it's stellar. We should do a blood orange mead. It's it's a thing. Yeah, you can do it. You can do it. So, how can we put a wrap on the Liber season? How do we put a, a wrapper? A bow. Yep. How do we bring this? How do we bring this together and move forward to the next road? If you've never read it before, you definitely need to sit down and do it. If you're a Howard fan, 
you need you owe it to yourself to read his descendants literature and to see what came after Howard and Conan and Solomon Kane and all those other characters and you won't be disappointed. I mean you could spend a weekend and just read a handful of these stories in a paperback. So if you picked up Swords Against Death, you could just mow through it and you'd be good. I think the cool thing about, I mean, there's lots of cool things about Liber and these Fawford and Mouser stories, but they're collected everywhere. So you can find, if, you, if you're into like the, the sword and sorcery anthologies or any of the various like early fantasy anthologies, you're going to run you're going to run into these characters just on the pages. So I think while we haven't talked about perhaps like Adept's Gambit or uh, some of the latter stories, like all of these various Fawford Monster stories will pop up in collections. And I mean, shit, you can just jump in on any one of them and you hit the ground running, right? You don't yeah. need to know necessarily all of the motivations but if you've got the weekend, Swords Against Death is 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 great. Um, would you also recommend picking up Ilmet and Linkmar? Or- Absolutely. I mean, like that story in and of itself is great. I don't necessarily think that the the first collection is quintessential. I mean, we didn't talk about the other couple stories beyond Ilmet and Linkmar, but it's almost like that that one's the prologue, and that the other two are additional prologues on top of that. Okay. I mean, they're, they're, they're fine, but uh, they're not the mouser story and the Fawford. Yeah. Like, Cause the solo they're, stories. they're kind of like the, Hey, how did our dudes get to link more like prologues to that prologue? Right. They're, they're okay. I, but, uh, I mean, Ilmet and Linkmore, if you can come across it as like the, the science fiction classics collection or just otherwise, it's great. Like that in and of itself is is a good is a good good novella to read. Yeah, where do we go from here, guys? John, I see that you have a post-it note in front of your face. That's true. <laughs> Unfold it and tell us what it says. Reveal it. Reveal it to the world. Drum roll. Oh. You want me to actually like announce this or? Uh, well, yeah. Are we gonna are we gonna talk about it? Our next season. The next season of the Chromecast. Season seven will feature magical texts, ancient tomes, grimoires. We see a sign in front of us. A path leads off to the right. It's the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> it's the number. <laughs> I don't know these numbers. Nine thousand dot something. <laughs> it is Via Libris. Oh, the Road of Books. The grimoires. The Grimoires. And if you check the Chromecast.blogspot.com, you'll see a list of forbidden tomes and ancient texts detailing horrific spells. You get all sensual when you're doing this. Oh, God. So, uh, there's, some, there's some sexy magic here. Just wait till you read about Clark Ashton Smith's. I do not doubt. <laughs> grimoires. Uh, we'll talk about the role that grimoires, magical texts, magical uh, uh, spells play in pulp stories 
from Howard to Lovecraft to Smith, the, the holy trinity of weird tales into modern times. We'll talk about the influence of grimoires and the uh, application of grimoires in pulp and fantasy stories. It's going to be uh, positively Durlethian up in here. Durlethian. That's an adjective we haven't used yet. Yeah, we'll get into that. We'll explore some August Durleth, some Robert E. Howard, some H.P. Lovecraft, and who knows, maybe even some Sam Raimi. I like it. <laughs> Join <laughs> us. We'll swallow your soul. That'll be next season. Season 7, Via Libris, The Road of Books, here on the Chromecast. How does the people find us on the internet, Joshua? They direct their web browser to http colon forward slash forward slash thecromcast.blogspot.com. Follow us on Twitter at thecromcast. You can find us on Facebook um, slash Cambridge Analytica. That's facebook.com slash thecromcast. Uh, and you can always find us on our home on the web. That's thecromcast.blogspot.com. Did I already say that? It's worth mentioning twice. It is. And you can call us and leave a voicemail. That's 859-429-CROM. And before we leave, I did put out a call today on Twitter for feedback regarding uh, the Lankmar season. And we did receive an email from our boy, Evil Ed. It's your boy. Evil Ed. And he says, howdy, guys. Hope you all are doing well. I'm still recovering from attending my local film festival where I enjoyed way too much whiskey, moonshine, and cigars. And I don't know if you guys follow him on Instagram or are friends with him on Facebook, but yeah, he hit that con hard. Uh, Go hard in the paint, evil Ed. (laughs) You're my boy, Ed. My Uh, boy. I would have to say, he says, the price of pain ease was my favorite story. The theft of the garden house cracks me up. The story also hits particularly close to me as I can understand the hardship involved of trying to move on after the loss of someone you share a deep love with. Looking forward to the next season as well as the latest episode of Bourbon and Barbarians. Keep up the good work, Ed. So thanks, Ed, for sharing that with us. And and you've shared the story uh, of your loss with us, too. And thank you for that. And uh, uh, we're glad that you enjoyed that story. Um, that one, I think is uh, a difficult one because it does involve uh, loss and acceptance and, and death. But uh, yeah, thanks for the feedback. Thanks for the email. And uh, we certainly are going to get back on the uh, bourbon of barbarians here pretty soon. Right, Luke? It's true. Very soon. I've got a book in my backpack. Doom. Doom. We've been, we've gone down an elevator. No, not an elevator, a, a, a stair shaft thing. Yeah. And we're down in the catacombs. It's true. It's not going to go well. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is it for this jaunt down the road to Lankmar. I bet we return someday. What do you guys think? You never know what the future holds. That's true. Only Ningobble does. Only Ningobble and Shielba know. Uh, But for now, we see a path to the right. Marked via Libris. Our curiosity is piqued. And we must follow our feet down that path. And we will see you next season for The Road of Books. Well, you're my friend. And can you see 
Many times we've been out drinking Many times we shared our thoughts But did you ever, ever notice The kind of thoughts I got Well, you know I have a love A love for everyone I know And you know I have a drive To live I won't let go But can you see its opposition Comes rising up sometimes That it's dreadful And position Comes blacking in my mind And that I see a darkness And that I see a darkness And that I see a darkness and that I see your darkness Did you know how much I love you? Here's a hope that somehow you Can save me from this darkness Well, I hope that someday, buddy We have peace in our lives Together or apart Alone are with our wives And we can stop our whoring And pull the smiles inside And light it up forever And never go to sleep My best unbeaten brother This isn't all I see Your darkness, oh no, I see your darkness. No, I see your darkness. Oh no, I see your darkness. Did you know how much I love you? Is a hope that somehow you can save me from this darkness. Why it's so bad to be persecuted for my puritanical religion?